It is so good to be back. Uh, I followed last Sunday as much as the media would allow me, although they have blocked uh, things, I guess, uh, so we couldn't be here for the whole thing. But when I heard that the vote was 99.7 something percent, I knew God was at work. A united church was anticipating and expecting what God was going to do in the future through this family and this man that God has called here to lead in the years to come. I don't know that, that greater joy can be expressed really than to see a church united, wanting to see what God can do. And uh, I rejoice with that. And, and if, if there was anything that makes my ministry here among you uh, joyful, it is that I'll look back on a wonderful, wonderful church and one that stood united as they looked to the future. But let's not say goodbye just yet. And so many of you have, have begun this and, and uh, asked and, and said, uh, you know, when are we going to be? We didn't get to say goodbye. And, and I will be here until March 5, and we will have good opportunities to say goodbye then, right? March 5 will be my, my last Sunday, and then the new pastor will be uh, on the scene. Let me ask you to turn to uh, Revelation 21 this morning. I'm going to say a few things before we get there. I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Have you ever been to a mountaintop? Most people have. You get up there and everything seems different. You can see far and wide you gain new perspective on a whole lot of things. The air is different. It is as if you kind of pass through and get out of that heavy air that sometimes can, can sit in the valley or even through the daily humdrum of life. And you get up and you're above the clouds. You look out and you breathe in. You can do it right now. Slowly, very deeply, and your body is filled with new energy. It's interesting to me that, that most of the major events in Scripture happens on the mountain. I don't know that you have necessarily noticed that. Uh, if you haven't, let me just point to a few of them, right? It was on the mountain that the first true encounter where we saw Abraham's faithfulness, God tested Abraham's faithfulness on a mountain. It was on a mountain that, that God gave his Ten Commandments to Moses. It was on a mountain that, that Isaiah met with all the Baal prophets and God proved himself to be powerful. It was on the mountain that the disciples saw Jesus transformed before their very eyes and they saw his divinity. It was on the mountain that Jesus gave his greatest uh, sermon ever. It was on the mountain that Jesus came to that garden of Gethsemane to pray for God's will as he was about to, to get on the cross. It was on the mountain that he gave his great commandment or his great commission, if you will. And we can go on. The mountain peak, the mountain top is significant. 
The date was April 3, 1968. The place was Memphis, Tennessee. Martin Luther King got up to speak to a large assembly that was gathered. And here's some of what he said. I don't know what will happen to me now. We got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. I have been to the mountaintop. Like everybody, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that right now. I just want to do God's will, and he has allowed me to go to the mountain, and I have looked over, and I have seen the promised land. I may not get to the promised land, but I'm so happy tonight because I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. For mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Friends, that was a speech of hope. It was a speech from the heart of someone who has seen a glimpse of God's glory. Now, if you have your text, let me read to you about another mountaintop experience. Opposite what we often do here, uh, I tend to kind of do expository preaching and preaching verse by verse through things today. I want to see if we could just capture the tone and the sense of the text and move from there. Chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from, every, from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making all things new. And I'm going on from verse 11, verse 10, sorry. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And then from verse 22, I did not see the temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. The Lamb is its lamp. 
powerful words from the mountaintop about hope. Can I speak to you about the significance of hope and why we cannot miss out on that? Hope is the oxygen of the soul. It is not strange, really, when we start thinking about it, that the Latin word for hope, which is spirara, I'm going to have that come up so you can follow, is very closely related to the word for breathing, which is spirara, very closely related. Hope is the breath that keeps life alive. In fact, when we start thinking here about the Latin words, it may be helpful also for us to grasp how these things connect to see that the opposite of hope is non-hope. De spirara. The very word from which, which we get desperate. If you're without hope, you will become desperate. I want you to, to hear me clearly here. There's a lot of people who treat hope as if it was just wishful thinking, a dream, something that we, we would like to see happen. Some kind of emotion that is kind of good to have. It, it works like a band-aid over an open wound of sorts. But that's not what we learn from Scripture, friends. Hope is an active act even. It's an act that places itself in the foreground of just about everything else that you see in Scripture. It's there when a, a promise is given. It's there when an exhortation is expressed. It's there when a confession is delivered. It is there when, when a declaration about God's faithfulness is spoken. Hope has to do with trust and with faith. And the Bible, if you turn to it, is replete with Language about hope that, that is expressed in word pictures that you see. It's almost like imagery when you hear that language. All kinds of things, pictures come up in your mind. The essential nature of hope. Hebrews 6, for example, defines hope and calls it the anchor of the soul. As if without hope, Life is just drifting around aimlessly on the water of life someplace. Prophet Joel calls it the harbor. Kind of hinting that, that you need to get into this harbor where you can get repaired and you can have your storage rooms refilled, ready for the next journey, so to speak. Hosea calls Hope, a door, indicating that life without hope is like a room without an exit, a room without a door. And unless we have hope, you will feel closed in and, 
and things will be dire. First Thessalonians. Paul calls hope a helmet, kind of referring to the protective qualities of hope. And I'm going to get back to that a little bit later. Life will push us and buffet us. We are sometimes like a, like a little ball on the pool table that's just thrown from one edge to the other. And we need the helmet of hope to be protected from the huffing and buffing of life, so to speak. So let me ask you this before we go any further. How long has it been, friends, since you were on the mountaintop of hope? The place where you can breathe in, get new perspective, realize what God is about, see visions you couldn't see otherwise. Find power. You know, you can see it in people's eyes when hope has evaporated. It is as if power has been sucked out of every bone and marrow in their body. And I was trying to think of a good biblical example of this, and I was thinking of, of the Apostle Peter, right? For three years, hope has shown as bright and as powerful as you can even imagine as he was walking with Jesus of Nazareth and realizing that he is the son of the living God. And then in a period of just 24 hours, as if poison was poured on a flower, he saw hope die. He saw Jesus' trial on a distance and, and hope began to die. He saw his arrest and his whole thing and now things are numb. He himself denied Jesus Christ and, and hope now can't breathe anymore. And then from a far corner in Jerusalem, he knew about the last breath of Jesus Christ and hope died. And then for three horrible, terrible days, he knew what it meant to have hope that had died. But then it happened. Then it happened. On that morning, on that resurrection morning, when he and John ran out to the tomb and he saw it was open and it was empty. And he heard the message from the angels that you cannot find Jesus in the tomb. He is resurrected, he is risen, they said. And in a one split flash of a second, Peter again, knew what it meant to have a hope that was alive. And so when you read the very opening verses on, on his letter, his first letter, he's saying here, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a what? Living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has met a hope that no circumstances could change, a hope that was living because it was in direct contact with the resurrected and living Lord. Can I ask you again, how long has it been, friends, since you went to that mountain of hope that changes everything? Ask yourself, not as a rhetorical question, but as a life-changing, I got to get that settled in my bones. How long has it been since I went to that mountain where hope and power gets new life? Not to escape what is going on down here, so to speak, but to find power, a living hope that impacts everything and all that we do and what gives us direction also for tomorrow. Viktor Frankl, some of you will know him. He was that famed psychologist that followed Sigmund Freud at this professor of as professor of psychology at the University of Vienna. And he said that when people lose hope, it's a fatal and dangerous thing. He spoke from his experiences in, in the German concentration camps. And he had seen when hope disappears and there's no longer a future then people give up and they'll just find themselves a corner and sit till life is no more. It's a story told about a luxury liner, cruise boat, call it that, right? It was the nicest, biggest, most incredible cruise ship you'd ever seen. Everything was amazing. Food, the most delicious things you've ever heard of. The carafes were filled with the most expensive wine money could buy. The entertainment was out of this world incredible. Everything you could possibly imagine of quality and wonder was right there. But then a few days into the sailing, Announcement came across the speakers. We will never again harbor. But no worries. We got all the food ever needed. We get all the drinks you'll ever need. We got all the activities that you'll ever want. Nothing will be missing. You just go on. But we'll just keep sailing. And in the first few days... Nobody paid attention. Your life just went on. The party just went on. It was great. And then one got up, looked out in the water, and there was no hope, so he jumped in, and then the next followed. And as time passed, everybody jumped into this ice-cold ocean. 
Why? They didn't seem to lack anything. Except life now all of a sudden was without purpose, without direction, without goal. It was just going on. No hope. And one by one, they gave up. Don't think, friends, that hope is an add-on to life. Or even to the gospel. We sometimes say that where there's life, there's hope. But I think it's so far more true to say where there's hope, there's life. Hope is the life nerve of the gospel. And that's what we see right here when John in the spirit was led to a high mountain as the texts go. He saw a vision. And he wrote what became the most powerful statement of power and of hope for Christians throughout the centuries. It was as if that vision that he saw right there had given strength and direction and power to Christians throughout, even to us here, beyond us here, even to the day when the Lord will return. Word about strength, encouragement, direction, reignition, if you will, of life for those who had lost it. In that setting, because of heavy persecution and evil, and so many times in our setting, because of humdrum and indifference. And God is saying right here, do not forget. In the midst of all the difficulties that life will throw you away, that these things will not last eternally. It's not even going to continue to be night and day. I make all things new. God's glory will shine so that even every crevice and every corner will be lit. And when that message came out to all the Christians whose flame was somewhat flickering, whose hope had been, been dimmed and, and pushed down, now, now it lit back up. It renewed their hope. It, it reignited their testimony. It restarted their, their ministry. It gave them protection against the evil that was hammering on their door. Oh, my friends, have you been to that mountaintop where a hope lives, where you meet that? Paul gives us a tremendous, tremendous example of this. When he's speaking about his own life and the strength of hope, 
writing to the Corinthians. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison much more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from the city, in dangers in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides everything else, I I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak if I'm not weak? Who is led into sin if I do not burn inwardly to give up, so to speak? What carried this man? He had been, friends, on the mountain of hope. That place where life and power is found. He knew that one day he would live in a city where God himself is the temple. He had had a meeting with God on the mountain of hope. And he knew about the glory that awaited him. And that awareness had power to send back to his current difficulties hope, anticipation, and strength for the now. You know, when you read Hebrews 11, and let me end by this. Hope and faith defines one another, if you will. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Yes? Most people know that. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith lives in the conviction that God is truth, hope longs for that day when that will be evident to everybody. Faith will confirm that God is our Father. Hope is looking for that day where every knee will bow and cry out to the Abba Father. Faith. Faith talks to us about the conviction of eternal life. Hope longs for that day when Christ will fill all in all. Friends, without hope, faith falls apart. It becomes mental assent. Propositional statements that reside in the brain and that can be expressed by the lips but will not ever find way to the hands and the feet. God wants you, friends, to take you to the mountain. Of hope. I know he has tremendous future for this church. But it's not happening if these things are separated. 
It is on that mountain of hope that we find power for faith, direction for life. Hear God's calling, see clearly God's vision. It is, says the old church father Clement said, Christ will transform sun down to sun up. Can I encourage you, friends, to go to that mountain? We're not really relating to Viktor Frankl's expression about the fatality of the lack of hope in the concentration camps. But oh my, how that's true also for just humdrum that will suck power and hope right out of individuals and of churches. We need to get up there, take a deep breath slowly, and find new energy reverberating through your body and meet God and see his light. Father, I ask that as we hear these words, as they come straight from your book, may we be so transformed. May you create in us a longing to go up on that mountain as we realize that every major event in Scripture happens on the mountain, so also, Father, in our lives. We need mountaintop experiences. There will be some here, even in the hearing of these words, that have completely lost hope. Life is miserable. Things are difficult. Home work everywhere. Others are just getting to the foothills and need to get all the way up. And Father, some of us may have been up there and we get down in the valley and we just forgot about what we saw. Would you take us back? I'm asking, not only for this whole church, powerful as you have visited with it, but for each person here. Call us, Father. Give some boldness to stand up and come out and say, I need to revisit that mountain of hope. There's some here this morning that do not know really what, what it means to sit with the one who says, my glory will shine in every corner of your life. Give them boldness as well. And we who have sat there encourage us to share hope every day. Amen. Friends, I'm going to ask you to, to stand. We're going to sing a song. The floor is open here. Some of you, if you want to come give your life to Christ, this will be a good time to do that. Others may just need to grab a friend's hand to come and pray. And if you're not bold enough to do that, just grab them right where you are and say, pray with me, please. I need that hope.